Okay, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for today. We thank you because your mercies are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. We are um, grateful for your hand in our lives. We are thankful for how you have seen us through um, last week up until this moment. Thank for the many testimonies and victories you have granted unto us. We celebrate your workings in our lives and we say thank you. We ask for understanding as we look into your word. We ask that you speak to our hearts, energize us and strengthen us by the truth in your word in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask for utterance beyond my human capacity. Lord, I ask for utterance to speak your word in simplicity, in power and in truth in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Okay. Um, praise God. Um, all right. So just a quick recap from what we started looking at last week, which was, again, was a continuation of um, what we started looking at the week, uh, three weeks ago now it will be. Um, but just to want to recap last week's conversation um, uh, briefly, and we would we would start from there um, today. We'll use that as a springboard for today's conversation. Okay. So we started looking at spiritual growth, and our underlying theme, you know, central theme for last week's conversation was the fact was how God, you know, causes us to grow. How God causes us to grow. All right. And um, we started off by explaining that the mature believers in God are those who have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And we said that discernment here means the ability to see things the way God sees them, the ability to estimate a situation the way God would estimate or that situation. All right. And that is what discernment is um, fundamentally. And so one of the measures of maturity is your ability to discern, meaning your ability to see things from God's perspective or see things the way God sees them. OK, that's one of the ways that we measure discernment. And the Bible says that the mature people are those who have exercised their senses so that they can discern. And on the on one hand, there is discernment. But what produces that discernment? The Bible calls it an exercise. An exercise here represents a process that pleasant or palatable to our um, human flesh or to our experience, but it is necessary for our growth. Just like everyone who wants to develop a particular muscle, all right, have to, has to exercise that muscle. Uh, you want to have, you know develop biceps or your or work on your core or whatever it is you want to work on you have to exercise it and it's not a comfortable experience you don't always feel excited exercising there's there's toughness that, that comes with that exercise but it is in that toughness that we grow it is in that toughness that we develop and that's what we looked at yes uh, last week sorry that god puts us through situations or circumstances that exercise us, circumstances, circumstances that stretch us, all right? Um, and that was the core of what we looked at last week. And we saw that Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4, right after he was, um, he was baptized uh, in the river Jordan and there was a dramatic um, a, a manifestation of, of God accrediting his life and person as the son of God, as the saint one, even though Jesus Christ had that dramatic experience, the next chapter in chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says that Jesus Christ was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And it's interesting that it is the Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness. Uh, it is not, it was not a mistake on Jesus's part. God wasn't trying to punish Jesus for something that he had done. And he said, you know what, for this thing you've done, I send you to the wilderness. No. He was led by the spirit into the wilderness. He was not led by anything else, okay? And the spirit didn't lead him to, you know, like I said in the video earlier, he didn't lead him to a, a bakery or to a restaurant or to a riverside. He led him to the wilderness. And my point is that there are times where the spirit of God will lead us into wilderness situations. And these situations occur not because of an error on our part, not because of disobedience on our part, 
but because it is the timing of the spirit for us to be in such wilderness situations. And it is in such wilderness situations that the Holy Ghost develops us. He, he, he trains us. He, he stretches us and makes us to grow. And, and just like Jesus Christ, the Bible says that Jesus Christ returned in the power of the spirit. And so also we can return from such experiences in the power of the spirit. All right. Um, and that's essentially what we looked at last week. And we read two core scriptures, James chapter one, verse two to four, and uh, Romans chapter five from uh, verse five, from verse one to, to verse five. Okay, so today, what I want us to look at, I want to start, pick up from that thought, really. Um, and the thought is that God can lead us into the wilderness. God can take us through seasons of darkness, you know, as we would term it. And these seasons are ca ca um, characterized by experiences that are not pleasant, experiences that are not what we would desire or hope for or wish for ideally, okay, and experiences that you would not naturally take yourself into those experiences, into such experiences. And that is what a, a wilderness season um, represents or what darkness represents, you know, in this case. And God does let us go through such situations. Now, there are circumstances that we get into by reason of our disobedience, by reason of our negligence, or by reason of our, um, you know, hard-heartedness. And that is, there, there are such situations that we get into, okay? Um, but what I'm saying is that even in such situations that is a result of your fault, if you may put it that way, if you hand over such situations to God, God specializes in bringing, calling light out of darkness. Okay, and so if you can hand those situations over to God, you'll be amazed at how much growth God would bring in your life as a result of such situations, even though they may not be uh, pleasant. All right. So we, I want to start off with that thought and I want to read a passage of scripture. Okay, for us. And, um, you know, this might blow our minds, but I just want us to read it from the Bible so you understand that what we are actually saying is the word of God. Psalm 18, verse 6 to 11. Psalm 18, um, one read that, Psalm 18, verse 6 to, verse 6 to 11. And, and this scripture talks about God. Just, just follow me for a bit, all right? Psalm 18, verse 6 to 11. Um, and you know, the lovely thing about the word of God is that wherever you are joining in from across the world, right right now or listening at, at a later point, the truth of God's word is still valid, all right? The truth of God's word doesn't change in its, in its potency because of geographic location. It's the truth. It's the truth of God's word. And even though our experiences may be different, God's word has a way of of ministering to our very diverse experiences. So let's read Psalm 18 verse uh, from verse 6. He says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. This is David speaking. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him even to his ears. So David cried and God answered. And let's look at the way God manifested himself. In response to David's prayer, it says, Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaking. All right? Verse, uh, it continues, verse 7, because he was angry. Verse 8, so God was angry not at David now, but at, at his enemies and all of that. Verse 8 says, Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. Verse 9, he bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. Just before I continue reading, and I, I want to make a little detour here. You know, when I, when I read this passage of scripture, it always amazes me how God moved just because a man prayed. And it goes a long way to show how, how much we are valued in God's sight. David cried unto God in, in his distress. And look at the things God, they, look at the way God moved just to respond to David. And this tells us that God can move Literally move heaven and earth. That's literally now. Move heaven and earth just to get through to you. Move heaven and earth just to bring salvation your way. Just to bring deliverance your way. He can move anything. He can do and undo just to make sure that 
you are brought out of that terrible situation. And this is the, the, the power of God deployed in the direction of his love towards us. Okay, so let's continue. Verse 9. He bowed down the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. So this way it begins to get interesting because whenever we think of darkness, we don't, we don't, we don't attribute God with darkness. We attribute God with light only. All right. Whenever I think of darkness, we think of it as negative situations or negative experiences. And it's just for the devil. You know, nothing, not, nothing can concern God and darkness. But let's read this scripture. It says, again, verse 9, he bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. So if somebody had looked at darkness, they would not have thought God is there. But darkness was under his feet. Right, that's what the Bible says, verse 10. And he rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. Verse 11 is my emphasis. He made darkness his secret place. Let me read that again. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. The Bible says that God himself, the Bible, and you know, the Bible says he's light, he dwells in light, there's no shadow of turning with him. But this same God himself, the Bible says he made darkness his secret place. And there's so much we can, we can extract from this scripture. Um, the fact that God made darkness his secret place is an interesting concept alone. And when we talk of secret place, right, what we are referring to is the, the, what, the term secret place there refers to a covering or it refers to enshrouding, all right, or refers to disguise. So it's almost what the scripture is saying is that God used darkness as his disguise. Meaning, if you had looked at that darkness, you would have said, No, God is not here. If you had looked at that darkness, you would have said, No, 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 no. I mean, there's no way God is in this situation. But God used darkness as a covering for himself. He used darkness as a disguise. That's what the, if you check the Hebrew word, that's what it translates to a disguise or a covering or a, an enshrouding. In fact, I want, let's read that same verse 11 in other translations, just so you, you understand what I'm, what I'm talking about. Read um, that verse 11. Let's read it in the New Living Translation. It says, he shrouded himself in darkness. You know, when, when, when something is shrouded, it is covered or it is hidden. And that's what the Bible says here, that God, God shrouded himself in darkness. He hid himself in darkness. If you read the, um, the Good News translation, look at what it says. It says, he covered himself with darkness. Thick clouds full of water surrounded him. Say so he covered himself with darkness. Meaning if you had looked at that situation all you'd have seen, seen is darkness. You'd have said, oh, there's nothing good that can come out of this. This is just a terrible situation. Oh, I'm so much in debt. Um, I'm just, you know, hopeless. I lost my job. I don't know what to do. That situation looks like a dark situation. That's what you would have interpreted that situation to be. But the Bible is saying that in that dark situation, that is where God is hidden. And this is powerful. That God covers himself in, in darkness. God shrouds himself in dark situations, in, in places or circumstances that you consider darkness. God shrouds himself. Just like when somebody is digging for diamond. When, when you find diamond, diamond doesn't look like diamond when you look at it. It is covered with dirt, covered with darkness. You can despise it and, and say there's nothing good that can come out of this. But in that, in that pile of dirt is where treasure is. And it's the same way that in the midst of darkness, the Bible says that God is in the middle of it. It's just so amazing. It's like when the Bible talks about um, Joseph in Genesis, Potiphar's wife had lied about him. Uh, Potiphar was angry, threw him into prison. And then the next chapter, the Bible says God was with Joseph in the prison. Where was God when Potiphar's wife was lying against him? Where was God when um, um, Potiphar himself sent Joseph into prison? Where was God all this while? It is in the prison, in that dark um, prison, that the Bible says God is with him. And I'm, I want to start off today by telling you that Whatever that dark situation is, whatever that um, difficult situation is, whatever that tough situation is, you know, what you would not consider dark uh, as light, I'm telling that God is in the middle of that situation. If you know how to look, God is in the middle of that situation. And this is the nature of God, that he, he 
shrouds himself with darkness. He covers himself with darkness. And many times people, people out of resentment for darkness miss God in the middle of that situation. Okay? And God wants us to be, be spiritually wise to know that he's in the middle of that of, of darkness. He's, he's, he's right there where things don't, you know, in the middle of the wilderness, he's right there. Where things don't seem to be going the way you, you think or the way you would have expected or the way you plan, whatever it is in your heart, God says, I am in the middle of darkness. Let me just read that verse again before we move on. In verse 11, he made darkness his secret place. This is so interesting that God made darkness a secret place so that those who would find him are those who would know who know how to look in the middle of darkness. All right. And this scripture reminds me of a, another passage of scripture, Psalm 91. Remember, this scripture says he makes um he, he says he makes darkness his secret place. Okay. Now look at what Psalm 91 says. Uh, let me just read it from the King James, Old King James Version. Psalm 91 verse 1. Many of us already know the scripture. It says, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What is the secret place of the Most High? Where we read in Psalm 18 told us that he made darkness his secret place. So the areas and the seasons of your life where it looks like there's nobody around you to help you, it looks like you've been abandoned, it looks like nobody understands what you're going through, it looks like everyone has just turned their back on you, I'm telling you that that is the secret place of the Most High. That place of darkness is where God dwells, is where God begins to reveal himself to you. That's why um, um, John the Baptist was in the wilderness for a while, because that was where the revelation of God and encounters of God came. It's the same reason why Moses was in the wilderness looking um, taking care of his um, father-in-law's flock and then God appeared to him in the wilderness. That is where God is found. And I'm telling you that if you're going through a wilderness situation, you are in the best place to find God. I know it may look like what on earth is going on. I don't deserve this. I did all I, I could do. I prayed. I fasted. I heard the voice of God. How come I'm here? I'm telling you that in that wilderness situation is where God is. But you must understand that that is the way God operates. If not, you would abort that experience and because, because it's uncomfortable and what you inadvertently do is you miss out on the revelation of God. The encounters of God are in the wilderness. They are not in the city. They are in the wilderness. They are in, a, in the, Jesus Christ, he returned in the power of the spirit. He was returning from the wilderness. He, was, he, was, he didn't encounter the power of the spirit in the city. It was in the wilderness he did. And I'm telling you this, that the wilderness experiences of our lives are the best moment for us to find God, provided you know how to respond in such situations. You don't discard it. You don't treat it as, as a curse. You understand that this is a situation. And I'm telling you, even when you are in that situation by an act of your own disobedience or negligence or ignorance, I said, when you hand that situation over to God, God transforms the, the meaning of that situation. It's exactly what um, Jonah experienced, right? Yes, Jonah disobeyed. God had said, go to Nineveh, but he, he intentionally disobeyed because he didn't want the people to repent. And because of that, he found himself in the belly of the whale. But in, the, in that belly of the whale, he cried unto God and God heard him from the belly of the whale. God gave him encounters there and the whale eventually, you know, spew him out uh, 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 on his way to Nineveh. Now, that what would have considered a, a, an act of disobedience, right? I said Jonah entered in the belly of the whale because he disobeyed, and that is true. But you see, when a situation is handed over to God, the meaning of that experience changes automatically in the hands of God. Because when Jesus Christ came several, several years later, when, and they asked Jesus Christ, show us a sign. Guess the sign Jesus Christ said. He says, I won't show you any other sign aside the sign of Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, and then he came out. It was the same experience that, that resulted from Jonah's disobedience that Jesus Christ used as his sign. And I'm telling you that the meaning of situations and experiences change the moment you hand them over to God. So don't, don't throw away the darkness. Don't, don't, don't call, call it a curse. Don't curse the darkness. No, 
That is where God is found, all right? That is where God is found. And God begins to develop us. God begins to train us. God begins to prune us. God begins to strengthen us in such experiences. You know, I know now we have like, you know, very advanced cameras, even our phones and our devices, you know, have very advanced cameras. But back, you know, some years ago, before the whole, um, before the the era of digital camera, what happened was, for the, the, the way cameras worked then was, um, a picture will be taken, all right, and the camera will have what is called a film, okay? Um, I was about to tease any Gen Z listening to me now that you may not know this, but let me be serious, okay? So a camera would have what is called a film, and when a picture is taken, um, what is called a negative. The negative is imprinted on that film. And so the, the photographer would take that film, okay? It's a cylindrical device. I, I can picture it in my mind right now. Um, I, I wish I, you know, got a picture out of us. But the, the um, photographer would take that film where the, the picture has been taken. Now, the picture was taken, but what was imprinted on the film was the negative. Okay, and that's what they call it. And it's very instructive, just follow me. The negative will be imprinted on that, on that film. Now the photographer to produce the picture, the hard copy picture of it, the photographer will take that film into what is called a dark room. And it is in the dark room when it is processed that a proper picture will come out. And this is so instructive because what we call negative situations in, in life, Okay, is imprinted on that film, maybe imprinted on, on our soul, on our hearts. We are going, someone's gone through a heartbreak, uh, a business deal gone wrong, um, a, re a rejection of some sort. And that's a negative experience, just like a, the photographer has the negative um, imprinted on that film. And that's how that negative experience is imprinted on our soul. But many people, and, and if you just take that film and you look at the negative, it doesn't make sense. It's not beautiful. It's not, it's not anything to desire at all. It, you can easily discard it and say, what is this, you know? But if you then take that negative and you take it into the dark room and process it, then out of it comes a beautiful picture. And so what God is saying is that that naked negative experience, take it to that, in that, to that dark room. Remember the Bible says that he has made darkness his secret place. It is in that darkness, that dark room, that the process happens. And God processes that your negative experience and what eventually comes out is a mature person, is a beautiful picture, is an admirable picture. And that's what God wants to do with our lives. That those negative experiences, he wants you, he wants to take it, right? Take it to his secret place, <coughs> excuse me, and let him process it. And what will come out of your life will be beauty that people would, would admire. And this is the pattern that God takes people through. Look through scriptures, look through contemporary history. This is what God does. He takes the negative from people's lives and processes it in a dark room. And out of it comes a beautiful picture. And I want us to look at one of these examples, or, you know, one of such examples in scripture. And this is the example of um, the man called Joseph. Okay. The man called Joseph. This is the example. And I want us to just explore the story of Joseph and, you know, just draw lessons from it because uh, there's so much that we can, we can learn from it. And the story of Joseph is one of the very instructive and fascinating stories I find in scripture. And I do encourage you to read, you know, read the entirety of the, of the chapters um, um, in the, in the book of Genesis. Okay, so let's start from Genesis chapter 37. We're going to read like several verses across several chapters and then draw lessons from those lessons from those uh, passages that we would read. Genesis chapter 37, verse, uh, starting from verse 3. The book of Genesis chapter 37 starting from verse 3, read from verse 3 to 11. And I want us to just explore these, uh, these verses and, and let's see the lessons we can bring from there. All right, chapter, uh, chapter 37, verse 3 says, Now Israel loved Joseph. So Israel here is Jacob, Joseph's father. The Bible says that Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. And I know we read this in scripture, but just picture it. Imagine if you were Joseph's brothers or you were Joseph, okay, they didn't have a, a um, oh yeah, they had a daughter actually. But imagine if you were Joseph's brother, brothers, right? 
um, how would you, how would you, what would you be thinking that there's this person, you are 12 in your family, but 12 guys, okay? I mean, if, if Joseph was a lady and the father loved her, it would have just been excusable, like, oh yeah, you know, daddies love their daughters. Let's, it's, it's very dismissible. But we're all guys and they're 12 of us, just but you, single-handedly, the father just loves you, or I mean, singled you out and he loves you. Think about what we're going through in the hearts of the brothers. It is very, it was almost understandable for them to be jealous, right? And let's continue. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. The reason was because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. So Joseph was loved. And I want you to just picture the family scenario. Maybe they are come about to have family dinner and then the father is sharing distributing food to everybody. But when it comes to Joseph's point, um, Joseph's turn, the father gives Joseph like an extra portion. Ah, the rest will be like, ah, what is going on here? And meanwhile, Joseph is not the first, but not the second, not the third, not the fourth, not the fifth, not the sixth, not seven, not eight. Joseph is 11th in position. Just think about it. So the firstborn will look and say, me, I'm the firstborn. The father is not even giving me the larger portion. So there, would, there was jealousy that, would, that definitely would have been going around the family. But not that alone. Then the father now comes to give Joseph a coat of many colors. Let's imagine it is a, uh, what designer now? A Prada, Prada coat, you know, Prada winter summer collection. Okay, no, winter collection, you know, um, um, ex, uh, limited edition design that's what if kind you know the equivalent of what the father gave to joseph now think about it from the family context just picture the event in the family you can easily tell that joseph would have it is very likely that joseph would have been a bit proud and arrogant because one you know last bonds or semi-last bonds you know those children that are born later later they they are usually usually more pampered than the older ones. And to make the matters even grave, the Bible says that Joseph was born in, in, in his father's old age. So at that age, the strength to discipline is no longer there. You agree with me? So the same way, the way he would have disciplined his first son is not the same way he would have disciplined Joseph because at this point, he's already old, you know, just excusing some things. There's no strength to say, don't do that, do that. No, all of that's not there. Plus the fact that he really loved Joseph and the, the sentiment he had towards Joseph would have made, would have weakened his discipline. Okay, so you also agree with me that Joseph was likely a bit, uh, what would have called a bit spoiled in the sense that he might, might not have been so um, disciplined like the others. He, you know, en enjoyed the father's love, got away with things. And so there could there, there is likely to be this air of arrogance and pride around Joseph. You agree with me? Okay. Now I'm just making deductions from the word of God and, you know, from the context of this situation and scenario that is painted. Let's continue verse four. So he had this coat of many colors. Verse four. Um, and when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So the brothers Almost justifiably, they hated Joseph. I'm not saying that's justifiably, but I mean, if you given the situation, you can understand why they hated him. So they hated Joseph and they did not speak peaceably with him, meaning that every time they spoke to Joseph, it was in harsh tones, it was in rude ways, and um, it was not just pleasant. Now, this lets us know that Joseph knew that his brothers did not like him because Oh, time and again, they didn't speak to him peaceably. They didn't speak to him kindly. So he could tell that uh, these people didn't like me. But look at what happens in verse 5. Verse 5, and Joseph dreamed a dream. So he had a dream. And guess what? He told the dream to his brothers. The same brothers that did not like him. Joseph went to open his mouth and tell the dream to his brothers. Now you can begin to see that there are two, two reasons why Joseph told the dreams two possible reasons why Joseph told the dream to his brothers. Number one is either he was so naive that after knowing his brothers did not like him, he still went on to tell this kind of dream. And we'll look at the dream in a moment, but he still went on to tell the dream to his brothers. So it's either Joseph was just very naive and he just, as a little child, you know, at this point he was, what, he was still a teenager. Um, 
it's either he was so naive and just was careless and naive enough to tell the dreams to his brother or brothers, or he was arrogant, meaning that based on the interpretation he got from the dream, he wanted to show his brothers that I would, also if I, I hating on me, based on what God has shown me, I'll be bigger than all of you. So it's either he was arrogant in that sense, or he was naive, which both of which was a problem, or either of which was a problem. Now let's continue. Verse five, and Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it to his brethren and they hated him yet the more. So he told this first dream and I want you to follow this very well because we read the story of Joseph and we gloss over some things, you know, many times. He told this first dream to his brethren and they hated him the more, meaning that they, from that time on, their conversation with, with Joseph was even more arrogant and more rude than it was before. They, they didn't like him, okay? And they showed it, I believe, in more graver terms. Now look at verse, verse six. And he said to them, here I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. Now this is a dream. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheep stood round about it and, and made obedience to my sheep, meaning the sheep, their own sheep bowed down to his own sheep. Then he says, verse 8, and his brethren said to him, shall thou indeed reign over us? Or shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him the more for his dreams and for his words. This is what this verse suggests to me. One that Joseph must have communicated the dream with such air of pride and arrogance, you know, saying that all of you look at you here. I, I had this dream, my own. Let, let's use bundle of bundle of sticks just to, to bring it down to our understanding. My I had my bundle of sticks, all of you had your own bundle of sticks, and guess what happened? All your sticks were bowing down to me, they were just bowing down to me. And he must have said it with this air of arrogance and, and pride. You know, this youthful arrogance trying to, trying to establish his, his dominion. And why I believe so is because the Bible, um, verse 8 says that they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. So it's not just the dream that made them offended, but his words, meaning the way he communicated it to them. So, fair, I, so this is my own uh, deduction from scripture. That number one, Joseph was, was naive. Number two, Joseph was proud and arrogant. And number three, um, I, I wrote three things down. Just one minute, let me check my notes. Um, number three, Joseph, oh yes, Joseph was, was, was um, dependent on his, on, the, on his father. And I'm going to prove that, show that to us in a moment. But look at verse nine. <clears throat> And he dreamed yet another dream. So this first experience happened. And if he had learned his lesson from there, would have said, okay, maybe it was just because he was, he was a, a young child. He didn't know better. But look at what verse 9 says. And he dreamed yet another dream. And guess what? He still told it to his brothers. I, what, I mean, what amount of foolishness did you have in your soul? That you're, the very brothers that don't like you, you are going to tell them these, these kinds of dreams. Dreams that, that puts them in a, in a lowly position, okay? And this is the, the foolishness, the pride, and just so much about Joseph that, and, and his childishness that God needed to deal with. So um, he, he dreamt another dream. He told his brothers, he says, behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance, obeisance to me, meaning the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bow down to me. Look at, can you imagine the arrogance he more and the pride he must have had to even come back and tell his brothers, first of all, that it was not just enough for them to, that, that they were going to bow down to him in the future, but he now came back to tell them that even the sun and the moon, mean representing his father and mother, even bow down. And what he was trying to say is that, yo, you, you, you thought that first dream was enough. I had another dream that even involved my mother and father. It, it was just an air of arrogance, teenage arrogance that he had. Okay, and verse 10, he says, he told it to his father and to his brothers and his father rebuked him and said unto him, and said unto him, what is this dream that thou hast dreamt? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to thee, to the earth? 
and his brothers envied him, but his father observed the same. So Joseph already displayed immaturity, displayed naivety, displayed arrogance, displayed foolishness, displayed, you know, dependence on his father. You know, that kind of thing that, you know, when a, 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 the last born in a family comes and is looking for the trouble of the firstborn, right? And he's here, he's arrogantly doing so because he knows that if, if the if the last one reports to the father, the father will always support the last born because, you know, maybe the father has a soft spot for that last child. That's the kind of dependence and arrogance that Joseph had. And my, meanwhile, the dreams Joseph had, the dreams were actually from God. So Joseph did not cook up a dream. They were actually given to him by God, meaning that those dreams actually revealed what God wanted to manifest in Joseph's life. Okay. And, and this is where I'm going to that even though God had these great intentions to manifest these things in Joseph's life, Joseph still had a lot of work to do in his character. There was a lot that God had to work on Joseph with, all right, work on Joseph on. Um, there was a lot of things that God had to change in Joseph because imagine if Joseph, just, just picture this for a moment. Now, because we know the end of the story, I want us to, to just Picture this mindset and this arrogance and everything and picture Joseph sustaining this same disposition of life and he now being the prime minister. So imagine if Joseph was the prime minister with this way of thinking. Ha, huh. problem. Because at this point, Joseph had no power, no authority. He was still the among the last children in the family. So there was no sense of authority within his, his power, uh, within um, within his hands, no sense of power within his command, okay? But, but he was this rude. So imagine how rude he would have been if he was now in a position of authority. He would have, the whole of Egypt would have been, been crawling on the floor in front of him before they would get grain. R people coming to buy grain would have to lie down flat on the floor and roll, you know, and just, that, just imagine what would have happened. So God looked at Joseph and said, nah, 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 nah. We have to help this, this young boy. We have to strip him of these character defects. We have to strip him of this um, ideology and mindset where he wants to govern people with a sense of dominion over them. Yes, he's going to become a governor someday. He's going to become a leader someday. But we need to strip this entitlement mentality that he has. We need to strip this foolishness that is in him. We need to... We need to cure him of this pride. And let me, before you continue in our story of Joseph, I want to read a passage of scripture in the New Testament to show you how God thinks. Because again, many people just, you know, assume that, oh, God is a very loving God. And that is true. He is a God of love. But what people interpret as love is, is, um, is, is, uh, is permission. They think that God would permit them to do anything simply because he loves them. They think that God will condone anything from them because he loves them. And that is far from the truth. Uh, James, sorry, the book of John, Gospel of John chapter 15. I want to read something here for us. John chapter 15, verse, verse 2. Oops. John chapter 15, verse 2. All right. Look at what it says. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, that's the father takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the branch that is already bearing fruit, the Bible says that the father will prune that branch so that it will bear much fruit. My emphasis is on the word prune. Pruning here means trimming, okay? Either trimming or cleaning or or weeding so that that branch can bear much fruit. And pruning here is not a, a comfortable experience. In fact, the, the um, word, and I just want to put that up to be sure, the Greek word, um, the Greek word translated prune here comes from a root word, which means to clean, all right, or to purify and to purify by fire. So when the Bible says that he will prune, he's talking about that rigorous process of cleaning at all costs so that he can bear much fruit. So I believe that God must have looked at Joseph's life and says, 
this boy is going to be a great guy in the future. That's his destiny. I want him to, to be a ruler of the world. And we're going to look at this, uh, go back to it in a few, few minutes. I want him to be a savior of the world in that time. But we need to prune him. We need to take him, we need to clean him and purify him through a, a, a process that is synonymous with fire. And that's what, what happened next. Okay, and we know the story. So God um, allowed Joseph to be thrown into the into the uh, into the pit, allowed him to be sold into into the um, into slavery, and Joseph left. Just picture this: he left the position of being favored, being protected by his father, being loved and being taken care of. Next moment, he is he's finding himself as a slave, and mind you, he was a teenager when he was sold as a slave. Think about this. Just think about the emotional, you know, trauma, you know, he might have gone through and the cultural shock coming from a place where your parents love you, they provide for you. If I give you a coat of many colors, you had designer, designer coats, now going to a place of slavery, right? Where you are working as a slave in a man's house and you likely had a the clothes of a slave that people could look and, at you and from your clothes, they could tell that you are, you are a slave. Imagine that kind of, just shock that a uh, uh, transition that happened in Joseph's life, okay? But that was the process. And at that point, Joseph had no idea what God was doing. But that was the process that was cleansing Joseph of the character flaws and defects. And remember what we said last week that God, patience should finish its work so that we'll be mature. God wants us to be mature enough. God wants us to, to develop character when we go through trials and, and temptations. All right. So let's um, go to Genesis chapter four, uh, chapter 40, sorry. Genesis chapter 40, um, some chapters, you know, some chapters um, ahead of that. Genesis chapter 40, um, verse, we'll just read from verse 20 to 23. So, but, but the backstory is this, that Joseph had been in Potiphar's house working as a slave. You know, thankfully he was diligent. God was with him, you know, and, and this is the interesting thing. God never left him all along. He never did, but God knew that we need to work on this man's character. We need to work on the way he thinks before we can entrust him with, with power and authority. If not, the power that he's to use to save lives is what he will use to destroy people. It's the same way um, King Rehoboam, after the death of, of Solomon, that the you know, power was entrusted to him and he, the, the people said to him that, well, your father was very hard on us. If you can just lighten the body, we would save you. And Rehoboam went to go and seek advice from his, his friends. And the friends told him that he should not lighten the body. He should make it worse. So the same authority or power of a king that he would have used to make the lives of these people easier is the same authority he, he used to make it difficult. And that's what happens when your character has not been worked on. The same money that you should use to be saving people or you used to be helping people, paying hospital bills, sending people to, to schools, is the same money you will use to pepper them. You understand know what I mean? It's the same money you use to show off, right? And God wants to work on our character so that when money comes into our hand, when influence comes into our, our hands, when power comes into our hands, we would use it rightly for the things that God desires it to be used for. All right. So um, that's what that will happen in Joseph's case. Now, fast forward, you know, some years and experiences later, Potiphar's wife had lied against him and he was thrown into the prison. Now in the prison, God was still with him. Uh, but you see, there was still an, an aspect of, of Joseph that God wanted to cure. Okay. And, you know, the way I see it is this, that Joseph had, had developed in his character, pride had, he had dropped away pride, you know, um, and how do I know he dropped away pride? Because when he got even to, got into the prison, he did not come into the prison and say, you people don't talk to me, you know, I'm not, I'm not a prisoner like you, I was once a leader in Potiphar's house, you know, I'm above you, no, 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 he was paying attention to the needs of people, he could observe the countenance, countenance of his fellow inmates such that he knew when, when they were not in a good mood. He knew when they were in a good mood. So I knew that by that, I know that ah, Joseph, the pride in Joseph had been dealt with, but there was still one more area God wanted to, to cure in Joseph. Okay. And that is the area of depending on people. 
So Joseph interpreted the dreams of these two guys in the in the um, in the prison, the butler and the baker, and his um, the the interpretation came true. The baker unfortunately was was killed, but the butler was was reinstated back to his position in the palace. And Joseph told the butler, "I say, see, I know this thing will come true. When it happens, please don't forget me. Speak to Pharaoh for me." Meaning Joseph was trying to, and it doesn't sound like a big deal, right? It sounds like, I mean, anybody should do that. But what God wanted to do in Joseph did want what God wanted to do in Joseph required total dependence on him. So the way I see it is that Joseph might have calculated and said, ah, maybe this butler is the way, is the channel through which my dream that I had several years ago will come true. That if this butler can speak to Pharaoh for me, then Pharaoh will call me into the palace and maybe he'll make, make me a baker or give me an appointment in the palace. Maybe that is what God, that dream meant. That dream meant rather. But that's not how God wanted it to play out. God wanted it to happen in a different way. And so let's read Genesis chapter 40, verse 20. And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership and gave the cup, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hung the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. So the interpretation was accurate. Verse 23. Yet did it, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. So the chief butler, even though he was reinstated, and you need to think about this, that it is very, it's it is not normal for somebody to someone that just three days ago told you what will happen in your life, a dramatic miracle and breakthrough will come, and you just forgot the person instantly, it's not normal, which suggests to me that God might have been the one that made him forget about Joseph because of what God wanted to accomplish. Because truthfully, if the butler had remembered, Pharaoh might have even called for Joseph. But what would have happened at that point? Joseph would have been assigned maybe a baker or a servant in the palace or something, but he would have being, being brought as a servant, but God had a better plan. And what I want to say to us that sometimes when God denies you of some opportunities in quote, or when God allows some people to forget you, people that you thought will help you is because God has something greater in store for you. All right. Maybe people that you have even helped, you helped them when they were in, you, you were in school, you, you, were for, you were with them at some you know, significant point in their life. Maybe they were in the hospital. You were there for them. You helped pay their bills. Now they are raising up to be um, to government office or to to be top. You know, in the organization. And these people forget about you. Maybe it is because God has something bigger than what you are imagining in your heart. All right. And then fast forward. Now this this guy forgot Joseph. And what I, I believe what God was doing at this point was he was trying to remove any human support structure or human support system that Joseph might have interpreted as the way God wanted to fulfill his purpose in his life. So did God removed all of that. And then we know the story. Two years later, Pharaoh now had a dream. And then when he said the dream, that's when this butler remembered. Imagine for two years, this man did not remember Joseph. This, again, it proves to me that this was not normal. Because how would you for two years forget the very person that prophesied your release just three days before you were released? So it suggests to me that God was behind the butler's forgetfulness. But again, at the right time, Pharaoh had a dream. And we know the rest of the story. Joseph came into power. The famine came. Um, 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 yeah, the seven years of harvest, then the seven years of famine started. Now I want us to fast forward to the end of the story. And we, we learn a lot of lessons in retrospect. So I want us to fast forward to the end of this story and see some things. Genesis chapter 45, <clears throat> verse 5. Uh, hold on, let me, let me confirm that first. Genesis chapter 45. Um, okay, yes, Genesis chapter 45, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 5 to verse 8. So this is, again, several you know, years later, 
And then at this point, Joseph had grown not just physically alone, but even in terms of maturity and um, intimacy with God. Joseph had grown, had grown, sorry. So Genesis chapter 45, verse 5. Now he's he had revealed himself to his brothers. You know, now they know him uh, to be Joseph, the ruler in, in Egypt. Um, and these brothers were scared. <clears throat> they were they, they were expecting that Joseph was going to revenge because because of all the wickedness that they had done. And also, this is me, you know, just my mind, you know, thinking wide about this story, that it's possible that they expected Joseph to revenge because they knew his character as at the last time they saw him. They knew that based on the Joseph they knew at several years ago when he was still a teenager, if it's, if it's that same Joseph that they meet now, that Joseph will revenge so they were, they were worried for their life, and rightfully so, because they had really mistreated Joseph, okay? But what they did not know is that God had worked on Joseph, that the Joseph that is now sitting as a prime minister is not the same Joseph that they knew several years ago, that God had worked on his character, worked on his heart, and things had changed. So look at what happened, what Joseph said in verse 5. Genesis chapter 45, verse 5. <clears throat> now, therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. This is so powerful. For these two years had the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be, be um, airing nor harvest or, or planting or, or you know harvesting. Verse seven, and God sent me before you to preserve you a, a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. This is so fascinating because it is a direct contrast to the way Joseph interpreted um, the dream that he had. Based on Joseph's interpretation of his dream several years ago, his brethren and everybody was bowing down to him. He was the, you know, in Nigeria, what we call he was the ogre, meaning he was the boss. They were all bowing down to him. But now, even when the dream actually manifested, and that's something that we should point out, that the dream actually manifested in the sense that his brothers actually prostrated to him. But there was a difference in character now. They, when these brothers prostrated, he said, no, 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 stand up, stand up, stand up. You know, meaning that his humility had kicked in. Pride had been, had been cured from Joseph and now humility had come in. And you remember we said one of the signs of maturity for a believer is your ability to discern. And we describe discernment as the ability to see things the way God sees things. And that is exactly what Joseph demonstrated in this verse that while other people were um other people would have said joseph you your brothers treated you wrongly um or previously in fact joseph might have been angry with his brothers and say my brothers how would they sell me into slavery to a land i do not know at this point in time joseph had grown in maturity he had grown in god enough to understand that everything he went through the betrayal from the brothers, Potiphar's wife lying against him, the butler forgetting him. That means somebody you helped forgot you. All of those experiences, he now came to understand that, no, 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 no. Actually, what was happening is that they did not betray me. They didn't sell me into slavery. It was God that was sending me ahead to save lives. Wow. So can you look at your current situations, situations of darkness and difficulty and draw draw a heavenly meaning from those things and say, I'm not going through this because I am disadvantaged. I'm not going through this because I'm, I'm my, my parents are poor. I'm not going through this because I am single or because nobody helps me. Nobody wants to help me because I don't have any brother or, or uncle or, or auntie or anybody in powerful position. That's not why I'm going through what I'm going through. I'm going through this because God is preparing me for greater places. I'm going through this because God is sending me ahead to preserve life. Can you see things from that divine perspective? And that's how you know that Joseph had gone through a process of growth. And um, by the way, Joseph was over 30 years at this time. Okay. Joseph might, must have been, 
um, going by a calculation, he was 30 years when um, he became prime minister, and then the seven years of famine started then, and now there were two years into the, sorry, seven years of harvest, sorry, of abundance started at that point, and now there were two years into, um, into the years of famine, so that's 30 plus nine, that would be 39 years, right? So by our calculation, Joseph must have been 39 years at this point where he met his brothers. So compared to his experience 17 years ago, that's some 22 years difference, Joseph had grown. So when people look at the story of Joseph and say, wow, I want to, the miracle of Joseph, you know, in just one, one night, he was in a, a, a prisoner, the next night he was a prime minister. I join you to say amen, but don't forget that before all of this happened, there was a pruning process where God worked on Joseph's character. There was betrayal, there was backstabbing, there was um, false accusation, there was all of those things. God was working on Joseph's character. And I'm telling you that the darkness you're going through, the wilderness experience you're having, God is preparing you. There's a, there's a throne that God is has already prepared for you, but now God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. That is the definition of wilderness season. That is the definition of the darkness season, where God prepares you for what he has prepared for you. And that is a story of Joseph that we see. So I'm just saying this here to let us know that when you go through darkness, it is not a curse. God has a throne prepared for you. God has an elevated um, position for you. But he knows that if he leaves you with the way you are, with the way you behave, with the way you think, with the way you treat people, if he takes you to that throne the way you are like that, you will destroy everybody and everything that God is doing. So what God says, you know what, that place is prepared for you. But now I want to prepare you for where I have prepared for you. And then God takes us through such um, experiences. All right. And you just hear Joseph say, no, no, you people betrayed me. But what you call betrayal, I see it as God sending me ahead. That means this is so powerful. That means that the people that hurt you, the people that backstabbed you, they did not know that they were messengers. It's exactly what the Bible says that if they had known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Meaning that even the people that crucified Jesus, they did not know that they were fast tracking his ascension. They were instruments and tools before God. Even the devil, let me tell you, even the devil serves the purposes of God. How do I know this? The Bible says in, we'll read this now, but 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 12, right? I believe from verse 8 or thereabout, where um, Paul says, uh, because of the abundance of revelation, a messenger, a, I had a tongue in my flesh, and the Bible calls it, um, Apostle Paul, yes, in the Bible calls it a messenger of Satan. So this was a messenger of Satan. But guess what? Paul prayed and said, take it away from me. Jesus Christ says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Then Paul says, now I, I rejoice in my persecution, rejoice in my suffering, because in my weakness, the strength of God is made manifest. So God wanted to produce strength in, in, in Paul's life. But how did God do that? He did that through a messenger of, of Satan. So I am telling you that the devil is not as powerful as you think he is. Even the devil is an errant boy in the hand of God as regards your life. So even when you see situations come that, you know, you don't like it, it, you are wondering where did this thing come from? I'm telling you that God is using that thing to propel you and send you into a into place of destiny. Hallelujah. Okay, so I have to stop here because of time, but I, I hope we've gotten this juice, the, the, the gist for tonight, because if not, you'll be interpreting difficult situations and you'll be saying, why me? Why me, God? I thought I prayed. I fast. I give. Why me? I'm devoted in your church. Why is this happening to me? That's the wrong question. You need to ascend higher. See things from the lens of the spirit. Tell God to show you what he's doing that you are not seeing. Then you now know that ah, when God sent you to the prison, it was a faster way to get to become the prime minister. He did not send you to the prison because you were wrong. So that you see what this means. That means that Potiphar was a messenger of God to even send Joseph to prison. Because if Joseph did not go to prison, he would not have met the butler. If he didn't meet the butler, he would not have interpreted the butler's dream that, and the butler would not have told Pharaoh that somebody named Joseph can interpret dreams. 
So all of those things happening was God sending Joseph to his place of destiny. And I'm telling you that what the difficulties you're experiencing, you are trying, 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 it's not working. You have, you've done all you know to do. I'm saying that God is finding a way to send you to a place he has prepared for you. And it is greater, far greater than what you, you can think of. But in that whole process, God is maturing us. He's working on your temper. You get angry, any small thing, just ah, flare out. God says, no, no, no. If I make you the king, when, when, when people tweet about you or talk about you on Instagram and Facebook, you just come out and, and talk anyhow. So I need to work on that temper. Or God looks at you and says, you are too trusting. Anybody that comes and says, oh, God spoke to me, you just trust them like that. God has to work on those things. That's what the process is for. God works on those things to mature you so that you can now sit on the throne or the, the position of authority that he has prepared for you. Hallelujah. Okay. Yeah, uh, we have to stop now. We're you know, far behind time. But I just want us to pray right now. You know, I because I sense that people may be going through seasons where they do not understand what is going on. And I just want to pray a simple prayer. And the prayer is this, oh God, open my eyes to see what you are doing that I am not seeing. Open my eyes to see it. You may be, have tried applying for a job or tried something several times, it's not working out. Pray and say, God, open my eyes to see it, to see what you are doing. Open my eyes, oh Lord. Let me see what you are doing in through this situation. Let me see what you are doing. Open my eyes, I ask, in the name of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Pray and say, God, open my eyes. A time came where the prophet was surrounded by, by, by fiscal armies and the servant came and told the prophet, we are, we are finished. But the prophet says, no, those that are for us are more than those that are against us. And he prayed. Pray that God should open the eyes of that servant. And that's what I want us to pray. God, open my eyes to see. Yes, there may be delay. Yes, there may be frustration. Yes, things may not be going as I planned. But God, open my eyes to see what you are doing that I'm not seeing. Open my eyes to see you at work so that I will not abort the divine process that you are orchestrating through my life. The testimony that is in progress, I will not abort it in the name of Jesus Christ. Marco Rekabatu Santa Cabaret. Lord, open my eyes. Open our eyes to see what you are doing. That will not call the darkness a curse. Rather, we'll call the darkness a secret place. We will call the darkness a secret place. Thank you, Jesus. Glory be to your name, Father. For in Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Father, I pray for open eyes for every single one on uh, one person on this call, or even those that will listen at a later point. I ask that you open their eyes to see what you are doing in their lives so that they will stay through, stay true to the process, and they will follow through on the workings that you are manifesting in their lives in the name of Jesus Christ. That will all be mature and developed and prepared for where you have prepared for us. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. Praise God. Um, just before we go, uh, just maybe take this in one minute. Please let me know what is something that you have learned from today. You know, what's something that you are going back with? What is something that uh blessed you today? And you are you are going back to think about it, to meditate about it. Please just let me know in one minute what this is, and um, we would. We will close right away. Just one minute. Anybody, please let me know what is something that has blessed you uh, today. You can drop it in the comment section um, for those of us on MixLR. For those of us on Zoom, please feel free to just unmute your mic and speak in a moment. All right. What's something that you're going back with from today's Bible study? What is something that you are going back with from today's Bible study. <clears throat> anyone, anyone? I'm looking out for comments in um, MixLR and also in Zoom. While that is coming in, um, please, if you have not joined our WhatsApp group, we are more than happy to welcome you. All right, so join our community. It's on WhatsApp group and the link, I am pasting the link right away um, in the comment section. Okay, if you haven't joined our community, please do so. Um, I think everyone on Zoom that I see here is already part of our community. 
Okay, please drop your comments. I just because time is fast spent, I, I I would I want us to close now and then I'll just stay back to read your comments as you drop them before you go. Thank you once again for joining in tomorrow. Sorry, not tomorrow. Next week, I beg your pardon. We will continue, you know, along these thoughts, but it would will make would from a different angle, you know, just from a different angle, because God really wants us to grow. Okay. Um, so we'll continue this conversation and this thought, this line of thought uh from a from a different angle next week. But I, I really encourage you go back to this teaching. Um, if you missed last week, last week's own, please do go back to it. In fact, let me also drop the link to let me drop the link to our podcast, um, to our podcast channel, right? Where you have or where we have all our our what's it called? Our our podcast here is the previous sessions. So I'm going to drop, I'm going to drop that right away with us here. So just look at the comment section and that is our podcast. So you can listen to previous um, teachings and previous sessions there as well. Okay, I see some comments here. Um, Sister Esther says, even the devil is a tool in God's hand. Powerful teaching. Thank you so much for sharing. Yes, even the devil is a tool in God's hand. Um, Cecile on Mixelar says, it's inside the uncomfortable wilderness that we don't like, that we experience and find God. Yes, that is so true. Thank you so much, Cecile, uh, for sharing that. All right, so see you next week. If you haven't dropped your comment, I'll wait behind for a few minutes uh, for you to do so. And um, God bless you all. See you next week.